Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. Hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Every once in a great while, Wade and I actually call each other for advice during a jury trial. Actually, it happens every time. This episode is a product of one of those calls. Today's episode also has a couple of other distinct features that make it unique. First, it's going to be far shorter than most of our episodes. Y'all might be thankful for that. Yeah, there we go. The other unique thing about this episode is that it is the product of several different what we call 911 calls that we made to each other during trials to ensure that we hadn't caused a larger problem when attempting to address a relatively simple concept. That's right, Tane. Today we are going to discuss how you can avoid making a big old boo-boo during a trial by ensuring you create or approve an appropriate verdict form. Yeah, once again, your word choices occasionally blow my mind. But what he meant to say was that today we're going to discuss verdict forms and just how important they can be to a successful jury trial. Never mind. Let's just get to it. All right, verdict forms, the document that the jury will use, Tane, to announce their verdict. Yeah. Now, first question I was going to ask, Wade, is a verdict form required? No, but I mean, I haven't had great success writing on the back of the indictment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we used to have those sort of pre-printed spots on the back of the indictment. They just don't get it. Yeah, I would uh, I would highly recommend that you, in every single case, whether it be civil or criminal, use a written verdict form that you have prepared with the lawyers and either gotten their approval or at least their tacit agreement to before you uh, get to the end of the trial. You know, some of our colleagues, Tane, leave this whole task to the lawyers and only get involved if there's a disagreement. We, you and I, are of the opinion that while that approach is absolutely allowed, there are times when the judge should just take the bull by the horns and create the verdict form himself or herself. Yeah, there are times when a verdict form can be very complicated. For example, in civil cases, it's not uncommon for verdict forms to contain special interrogatories or questions for the jury to answer. Their answers to those questions then can lead to additional deliberations or even additional evidence presentation. By comparison, Tane, some of our verdict forms are super easy. We, the jury, find the defendant blank guilty or blank not guilty. Date, signature, printed name. We're done. Yeah, and I've actually used that very form from time to time. But today we want to provide you with a couple of examples of occasions when the judge may want to consider creating that verdict form for the lawyers to consider before allowing the back-and-forth arguments between counsel to flame out of control and create a mess. You know, Tane, I've had several civil cases where lawyers want to argue about who goes first. I I find in favor of the defendant or I find in favor of the plaintiff. And, you know, come on, man. I mean, at some point, we've all had cases where a jury has to pick between two possible alternatives. That's usually how this works. Sometimes there's three or four, but it's usually two. Somebody has to be first. And lo and behold, Tane, we have law on that. Really, Wade? We do. We do. (laughs) Um, It's a van case, the 294 Georgia 464, where the words guilty or not guilty did not constitute error, and it did. It wasn't error if one became before the other. Just understand that that we actually have some law on that. Yeah, and you know they did kind of hint that if you put one in twenty three point font, and if you put one in six point font, you know that might be a bad idea. But other than that, they said as long as it doesn't mislead the jury, uh, having a form uh, in that with something in that order wasn't error. Now, 
just make sure your verdict form doesn't do. We talked about this when we talked about jury charges. Just make sure that you don't have a form where one word's bolded or one word's in italics or whatever. Take a look at it. This is another one of those go slow sections, Tane. It won't take long, but take a look at it and make sure that you don't have anything that suggests an answer, you know? Yeah, that's the big point. And, and, and you know, that might be as, as simple as making sure that, you know, one's not more indented than the other one or something like that. I mean, those are mistakes that can be made by the accidental stroke of a key, but it might make a difference in the way the form looks. So so I guess our, our, our advice here is look at the thing before you use it, okay? But, you know, Tane, there are situations when that order is vitally important. Yeah, absolutely. Um For example, um, verdict forms are considered to be a part of the jury charge. And there's some case law in here uh, in our outline on that. So therefore, errors in the verdict form can render an otherwise valid jury charge improper. Some judges, like we said earlier, pay little attention to verdict forms, don't care, don't, as long as their lawyers are happy, the judge is happy. And as you're going to see in this episode, failing to pay attention to some of that phrasing, particularly under certain factual scenarios, can absolutely create reversible error. Yeah, so there's a case that seems to pop its ugly head up like a -a whack-a-mole every time we do a podcast, and that's um, the Edge case. I feel like we need some sort of, like, musical, you know, background. I know. Yeah. This is what what I think of, though. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of Edge-appropriate. So, uh, yeah, tell tell them about this uh, this 1992 case that we always talk about. We've talked about it ad nauseum, and and we've talked about it recently in a jury charge episode, but it's important, and, and this is where the form of your verdict is going to be vitally important. You'll remember the issue in Edge was that when the defendant is charged with murder, felony or or malice, it doesn't matter, or both, and request a lesser included charge on voluntary manslaughter, that happens all the time. Right. Sure. You're gonna. So this, this isn't gonna be a rare occurrence. No, no. This is something that you, that you need to be looking for. In fact, when you have that uh, request for the lesser included of voluntary. So in Edge, the trial judge there told the jury on count one to consider whether the defendant is guilty or not guilty of murder and then consider the charge of voluntary manslaughter. I don't think he was trying to suggest anything. It was just if then we do this first, we do that second. That's right. That's a problem because what the appellate judges say, if, if you do that, if you tell them to consider, especially felony murder first, felony murder is fairly easy to prove. You've got a felony and a dead guy. And I know that's crass, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And so if you that would prevent you from ever getting to the issue, reaching the issue of whether the level of passion would incite the normal man, you know, the, the, yeah, language the heat of, of passion language that would keep you from ever looking at that if it's always a then. That's right. And, and, and again, it's more than a semantic battle here. I mean, what the what the court was saying in there actually makes a lot of sense, which is. You know, if you make it an, it's kind of an if or an only if, you know, and and that's what it sounds like to the jurors is, you know, you only reach this next question if and only if you find him not guilty of uh, uh, malice murder. So let's say. So explain how they can start to avoid that without charging in that fashion, Wade. All right, Tane, we have a little treasure in our trial, in our outline. That we're we left tr- them a little Easter egg there. That we're going to try to verbally describe in this podcast episode. But 
We have a verdict form that I've tried to remove the names to protect the innocent or whatever that was in Dragnet. But remember Dragnet? Yeah. Okay. Um, We're old. We are so old. That show was actually in black and white. But anyway, go ahead. Wait. So anyway, the the thing that we have in the outline is the way that Wade and Tain, at least, have been able to overcome this potential edge problem in a case where murder is charged and a lesser offense of aggravated, um, excuse me, voluntary manslaughter is requested. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, and Tain, let's... um. All right, so underneath the style of the case, let's try to verbally describe this, okay? Sure. Underneath the style of the case, the words count one appear sort of centered like a heading underlined, okay? Yeah, yeah. We'll call it a subtitle. Then down the left-hand side, there are three blanks. Corresponding to the top blank is the phrase, we, the jury, find the defendant guilty of malice murder. But then you come to the most important word on the form, Tank. Right underneath that first line, in the center, I always center it. I always center it, and I always put it in bold, and I always put it in all caps. I put the word "or," and then right underneath that, if this was uh, what you're considering, it says, "We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of voluntary manslaughter." And then beneath that, there's another "or," the small word that keeps giving. That's right. And in our outline, it's not bolded, but it should also be bolded in the uh, in the uh, uh, verdict form. Bold it just the same way you did before. Center it the same way you did before. And then say, we, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. That's you know what? the third choice. You know what? I don't know about you. I've honestly forgotten not guilty before. Because every, I mean, the guy would plead guilty in four seconds to voluntary. Right. And I just, I mean, even he's not thinking he's going to be found not guilty. <laughs> well, that's that, that's frequently true. You just yeah. got to make sure you have three choices. That Now, see, here's the key. There's another, that, that same series on count two, if the count two was, was felony murder. But see, the heading makes all the difference. And, and it's important, Tane, during your charge to the jury that you tell the jury what? Per count, yes, that you need to that you need to find be unanimous per count and per defendant, and only one of those boxes should be checked per count. Exactly, and 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 I'm just going to remind you, folks, that there's a an episode that we talked about about how to handle receiving a jury verdict, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in here as well because it's very important how you do that. But but let me, let me go back and say one thing about this. Um, This or, or, or idea um, is really important because A, it avoids the case that we talked about a few minutes ago, and B, it's much easier for the jury to understand. And this, I don't think this is in the outline here, but I'm going to, I'm going to, and this, I mean, no, I mean to cast no aspersions on our wonderful jury, uh, pattern jury charge committee, but I never use the pattern jury charge that attempts to explain how to include a lesser included offense. It is verbose and confusing. No offense, guys. Sorry about that. What I do is I explain the verdict form. 
So I hold up the verdict form. I tell them for each count, you can only check one box, that they are relatively self-explanatory. But for example, here's how count one reads, and I read it verbatim, and then I say, and only one box should be checked if your verdict is unanimous as to that count. And then I move on. Because I think that's a whole lot easier for people to explain. It's kind of like Wade and me trying to explain to you verbally what, what the verdict form shows, which is a whole lot more more sensible than what we're trying to explain to you. So anyway, go ahead, Wade. But we're just trying to paint the picture. Too. Yeah, I know. And you know, we're, we're like Van Gogh in that way. It's more impressionistic than it is. Uh, you know, I can go back and fix that, that bold. And you just, you just completely outed me that I overlooked it. <laughs> All right, so it'll He'll be fixed fix before we put it on goodjudgepod.com. All right, go ahead, man. Just like uh, Stephen, we'll fix it in the mix. Fix it in the mix. Um, couple of points. To make this form work, you've got to tell them to pick one, and only, only one block should be completed per count. And therefore, if the jury finds the defendant guilty of murder or guilty of manslaughter or not guilty as to each homicide count, each applicable count, by the way, on the counts that don't involve the lesser included offense, like the possession of firearm during the commission of a crime, right? Right. They still should only have one of those boxes checked per count three. That's right. Or 17 or whatever it is. So just understand you're not telling them something that is only uniquely applicable to counts one or two. It's applicable to everything in the indictment. That's exactly right. This is going to sound kind of silly, but I'm really not kidding, Tane. I have forgotten to put not guilty, and I kept looking at it, going, "Something's wrong." It's not three <laughs> things. Um, just no, make sure. I, just make sure. I understand because we, we we go through so many gyrations to try to make sure that we get the lesser included offense right. But yeah, make sure, and hopefully the defense attorney will tell you that. Hey, judge, by the way, there's not a blank for not guilty. And and, and I'll say this too, folks. Look at how the things are arranged on the page of your verdict form, particularly if you have multiple counts, make sure that not guilty doesn't get kicked onto the next page. And that sounds funny, but you know, many times when we're typing up the verdict form, it pushes something onto the other page and we're like, no, 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 no. It's okay to have a separate sheet of paper, mm -hmm. you know, a and, bit, and a big break in it. Whatever. Yeah. Have a count that's on a separate sheet or something like that. We don't want to push some part of the verdict form onto a separate sheet if we can avoid it. But Tane, we talked about the not guilty piece. You don't want to add a not guilty of voluntary manslaughter. You want to have not guilty on any offense in count one. Yes, correct. You see my point? I, I do. Mean, because if you have a not guilty of voluntary manslaughter, guilty of murder, what if you have the opposite? Right? right. That's I right. I mean, you could, you could create a problem, make it three choices, and just say, on this count, do you find this defendant is, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, unanimous verdict, Guilty of any offense. If so, check the appropriate box, but only one box per count. That's right. Um, the next thing, Tane, we need to talk about on your verdict form is how about avoiding adding language that's not necessary? Yeah. And, and there is a temptation sometimes to, I don't know, explain a count in the, in the verdict form or something like that. Or and to add, we the jury, based upon a preponderance of the evidence. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. So there's what, no there's no need for that, and this is one of those you circumstances. You spend all this where, time explaining beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, and less is more. Less is more. You know, the the briefer the better, and unless the lawyers are you know squabbling with you on it, I mean, simple verdict forms are the best verdict forms in my. They're they're easier to understand. There's less chance that the jury's gonna find something they misunderstand, and 
there's less chance that you're going to make a typo or something along that line. Well, you know, the old, everybody loves cut and paste, right? Yeah. So how about this, this cheddar scene case that is in the outline where because of cut and paste, they put a provision, we, the jury, find the defendant beyond a reasonable doubt guilty of count one. Or, we, the jury, find beyond a reasonable doubt the defendant is not guilty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. That's and not it, the way look, that works. It's a typo. There's it not, is. There's not, a fir- there's not a somebody, no law student who has finished law school, I mean, who has finished criminal law in their first year, has any misunderstanding that the defendant has no burden of proof and it's not, definitely not beyond a reasonable doubt, but things happen. That's why you don't do that. And that's, if you don't get in a bad habit, you won't create a bad habit. You know what I mean? That's right. Now, you know, you can discuss all day whether we should have blanks or whether oh, yeah. the I jury, to ask you about this. yeah, whether the jury should write in the blank guilty or not guilty. All right, so I always do blank guilty or blank not guilty. Yes, I do. As I well. don't do. We find the jury. We we find the defendant blank guilty, and if they want to find him not guilty, they write in the word not. I, that's I don't do that. I know people who do. I know a lot of people. I've seen that verdict form many times. I'm not a fan. Um, you know, do they put a check mark in there if he's guilty? I mean, what do they do? Do they circle the word guilty? Initials. Yeah. I. So I agree with you. I am not a fan. And plus, what do you, what do you normally seriously? What do you normally do with your juries? Yeah. Normally, it's 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 a blank, and then the word uh, guilty, or we the jury find the defendant guilty. You know, of count one, uh, and you know not guilty or, you know, but it's always just a blank out to the left side and then the guilty or the not guilty. Do you care if they check or X or I don't, but I usually tell them check one box. And, and in fact, my form says check one box only, uh, you know, for each count. And so anyway, um, we've already, like you said, we've already instructed them what their burdens are and what they're supposed to consider and all of those sorts of things. You don't have to put that on the verdict form itself. Correct. So pre-publishing conferences, Tane, you almost went there a moment ago and, and we're going to, again, back to the, we have the same brain. It's a little scary sometimes. (laughs) Very scary. Um, We've discussed these cases in some length during our, our series on how to try a case, but now, so the judge has crafted the best jury charge possible and the same with the verdict form. It all looks good. And the jury retires and announces that they have a verdict. So everybody gets seated, you know, the drama. Oh, yeah. And then the judge should ask the foreperson a few questions. Now, I'm not 100% sure where that is in the statutes. Yeah, I don't even know if it's statutory or not. I think it's probably more traditional than it is anything else. But it also makes sense. It's, a, it's also a really good backstop to things. Well, think th- about it, Tank. Somebody, a bailiff, told you they have a verdict. Right. Shouldn't you let the four-person tell you they got a verdict? Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, you know, yeah. you're just hearing hearsay. Yeah, well, normally they normally they send a note out, or yeah. fre- frequently they send a note out said we've reached a verdict or something along those lines. Now, usually I, I'll get the four-person stand up just because I can hear them better, mm-hmm. and they freak because they think they're about to read this verdict. Right. I say, no, 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 you're not going to read the verdict. I need to ask you some questions. Yeah, I normally say the following three questions are going to be directed to your four-person. And then the first question I always ask is, has the jury reached a verdict? Second question is, was that verdict unanimous as to each count? And then the third uh, 
question is, has the verdict form been completed and filled in and signed and dated by you as the foreperson? And then I'll say something to them like, well, please hand that verdict form to the bailiff and he will hand it up to me to review. And then the procedure, but the procedure after that is, is, is what's also important. And this is why we're, we're pointing out to people don't, you know, again, don't take a shortcut here. They hand it to me. And then this is very important. And I'm saying it's in my outline, but I'd be willing to bet that if we took a poll of all of our colleagues. Well, let me say one quick thing. They hand it to me. And I actually read it. I look at every page and see whether they've checked just one blank in each count, whether they've written anything extraneous on that, whether there's anything else that I need to consider before I do what Wade's about to tell you about. So if I took a poll of all of our Superior Court judges in Georgia, 220, I think, and I said, how many of you have a pre-publishing conference where you call the lawyers to the bench before the verdict is published and have them look at the verdict form? My guess is I maybe 10%. No, no. I know exactly how many. How many? 130, because that's how many we've taught to do it right. <laughs> um, in 1994 now, the Supreme Court held that before the verdict is published, the trial court and counsel shall review the verdict form in open court prior to it being published. And that's a case called Freeman, and it's in our, our outline. They overruled all kind of cases. And let's be honest, Wade. Neither you nor I knew about this Freeman case until a later case came up. Well, and we're going to talk about Williams a little bit. Not much, though. Um, The point is, despite your best efforts, there are times that jurors go rogue. Mm -hmm. And they put a question mark or a draw a picture or write something, write you a note, whatever. And if you need judge to look at that, that is not keeping with Freeman, but at the bare minimum, you need to look at that form. Absolutely. Because there is another case that is cited in our outline, and we're not going to go through it in any detail. Because we've Um, already done that. We have done that. And it it, it was a 2015 case, and because I was involved with it. Right. um, Not as the trial judge, but as the judge having to hear it on remand. Right. Um, That's the case of Washington versus State. It's in our outline. Correct. So in the Washington case, you, you want to read that. If you think that this is a bunch of hooey, yeah. you want to read that case on how a perfect storm of facts, mm-hmm. actions, time of day, I mean, just a whole plethora of, of factors combined to create, I'll just call it a mess. I might use it another word if we were having beers. Right. <laughs> Well, and I think the, the, the takeaway from that case is you cannot assume that everybody understands everything. You can't assume that everybody, especially juries, are going to do things the way you think you've told them to do them. I mean, it, it, there, there, things can happen that cause uh, stuff to be crazy. And so, so what we're saying is this pre uh Conference, yeah, pre-publishing conference. Thanks, I couldn't remember the word. The pre-publishing conference is really important because it can avoid just those last-second things. And I'm going to point out what we've said many times when we address this: it ain't your job as the judge to create drama in the courtroom. You know, I think some people think, well, it's not going to be nearly as dramatic if we have everybody come up and look at the verdict. And that's not what they do on TV and all of that. No, it's not. And you know what? That's not our job. So. 
Uh, it's like, I, you know, I think I may have said this on the previous podcast, but I don't have the criminal defendant stand up while I read the verdict or while the verdict is read. You know why I don't? Easier to run if you're standing, harder to run if you're sitting down. I, that is 100% the reason I don't have the defendant stand. You and I had that conversation. We, yeah, absolutely. And my bailiff said, you know, I can really push that chair back under that table when I see him start to get up. But if he's <laughs> already to... up, it's going to be, you know, a sprint to the door. That's, that's right. Um, this procedure is required. And while it may mess up the drama, it's not the point of the exercise, as Tane said. That's right. So we promised this episode would be a little bit shorter than some of our prior episodes, but this topic was requested by a listener. Woohoo! And Tane and I had also discussed this exact issue in one of our infamous SOS calls in the middle of a jury trial. I think it was me. You had to help me. Yeah, I think we were watching through it. Put not guilty on the thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you ask for an episode, we're going to try our best to find a way to address that topic. It's not going to be instantaneous, but we do our best. Yeah, and uh, that's why we ask you to do a couple of things. First, if your podcast platform allows you to rate and review the podcast, please do that for us. It's really important for us to uh, continue to do things that you like from, for us to do. Uh, sometimes we have no idea whether you like what we're doing or whether you think we're nuts or anything in between. So please go on your podcast platform and rate us. Tane, I'm pretty confident they think we're nuts. Yeah, but do you remember that Elmo episode? That was nuts. I do. You know, and nobody rated that. I was kind of disappointed. I want to know what they thought of my Elmo impression, but... Uh, some of my best work for sure. Anyway, uh, more seriously, please give us some feedback. If you will send us an email with suggested topics, rate and review the podcast. And as always, you can email us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. And you can find all of our outlines and materials and lists of prior episodes at goodjudgepod.com. So let's recap what we've learned today, Tane. Verdict forms can be your friend. But they can also be a real problem if poorly drafted and not reviewed before they are published. Yeah, we mentioned in a prior episode that there are times when the judge needs to slow down and mechanically and methodically go through certain steps. Preparation of the verdict form and receiving the verdict are two of those places. Tane and I frequently will draft a verdict form and... You can see an example of just such a form now that I'm going to have to fix it because apparently it had a <laughs> wasn't highlighted or whatever. Yeah. Um, in the episode notes from this episode, you can find those notes at goodjudgepod.com. So that wraps up today's episode, Tane, and thanks to every single listener, whether you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode. Thank you for listening. I'm Wade Paget, And I'm Tane Kell. Good podcast this was. Well, folks, that's all we have for another exciting and enthralling topic here on the Good Judgment Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to the entire University of Georgia College of Law for assisting in our recording. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But nobody can get it all. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Thanks to our NJO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions, and they do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else for that matter. You can contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise, but please contact someone else with any complaints. But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. 
send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. You've been doing a great job doing that. We really appreciate the help. You can also visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcasts. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.